That's awesome. That is an awesome story. Thank you so much, uh, Laura. Hi, I'm Scott Brooks. I sometimes come here uh, to church. How you guys doing? Good. Good to see you guys. It's nice to be out of the barn. I'm free. Free. Um, yeah, I had uh, or allegedly didn't have COVID, so I uh, came back negative uh, two different times, so but had all the symptoms. But I'm free. We're back. And uh, it's so crazy. Like a, a year ago, if you would have said, hey, would you come on a Sunday morning and watch uh, a recorded message? I think a lot of us would go like, probably not. And then this happens and everything changes and it's amazing what we adapt to and adjust to and just want to say thanks to you as a church for just uh, rolling with it and uh, still following Jesus in the middle of all this thing. So uh, this morning I invite you to turn to John 3. Uh, we're going to be in the next series on this or next message on this and um, I multi-purpose this thing we were going to possibly throw away. So uh, what are the odds you're going to see this at today's game? Anybody want to bet? I don't, can we bet? We're not going to bet in church. Uh, anybody want to give? <laughs> yeah, John 3.16, right? It's, it's forever on these sports events, right? Uh, football games, uh, the dude back in the 80s, 70s, 80s with the rainbow hair and the John 3.16, and it seemed like it was somebody different every week, but... Um, today's passage is two famous, uh, famous things, right? One is John 3.16, and the other one is born again. And, and here's a question I have for you. When is the last time you've ever used that phrase, born again? Um, I, I was looking at this, and I came out and talked to, to Joe this past week. I said, Joe, when's the last time you said born again? And she said, that is so funny you asked that, because this past week, the women's Bible studies kicked back up. And one of the leaders of one of our Bible studies, their opening question was, when were you born, and when were you born again? And I'm like, huh, there you go. For me, I, I have baggage with that phrase, um, and I, it's hard to explain it, and, and everybody's got baggage, but this is part of my baggage. It is what it is, but... For me, the baggage of this is it's so attached to the fighting fundy, God is going to wipe you out and can't wait to snuff you out kind of thing and wipe you off of planet Earth unless you follow him and are born again. And I'm like, I just like everything inside of me, I just react against that and don't want to be associated with that kind of fighting fundy, angry God. And so I've avoided this phrase. And yet... This phrase is in the Bible. In fact, as I was looking in, in, in the Word and studying born again, I'm like, hey, I kind of like this phrase. This is actually kind of good. So I don't know if you use this phrase or not. I don't know what, if you have baggage with this thing or don't, or whether you've never even heard it. Because I think about the messages over the last 18, 20 years or whatever, uh, 18 years, I guess, um, we hardly use that phrase. And there's a part of it's like, hey, wait a minute, let's reclaim this thing. It, it, it's biblical. So uh, join with me. We're here at John 3, and it starts off with this. It says, now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Let's stop right there for just a second. So let me catch you up to speed. If you are kind of new to this whole thing, you're kind of dipping your toe in Christianity, as it were. Uh, Pharisees is a big word. It's a group of people who were kind of like the religious uh, policemen for Israel, for lack of a better word. They had memorized all the laws that God gave Moses, and they were proud of that fact, and they made sure everybody tried to keep them, uh, or make sure everybody kept them and then would punish them or whatever. But they were just the legalistic policemen and were more concerned about the exterior famously than they were actually the soul and what was going on and what God was doing and they ended up becoming like the enemy of Jesus. Like they just kind of declared war on Jesus. And, and you'll see this escalate as we go through the book of John. So if you're new, Pharisees is a big name group that you'll get familiar with as we head into this. So this guy is a Pharisee. He comes at night which is interesting. Why does he come at night? Well, if you follow the Pharisees and the antagonism, it's already begun. And they already are having conversations about this Jesus because he just cleaned out the temple and he's already stirring up things and people are starting to follow him. Nicodemus, if you don't know this, shows up two more times in the book of John, which I didn't know that. I was like, really? He shows up later and he actually starts to take up Jesus's cause because the Pharisees are rushing to conclusions and just wanting to destroy Jesus. And he's like, wait, wait a minute, aren't we going to do like a fair trial kind of thing? And you'll find that later. And then he's actually one of the guys who takes care of Jesus' body after he dies, which I didn't know that. He's there at the end wanting to take care of Jesus, which shows there's an openness Nicodemus has, but he has to come at night because it's too dangerous for him to be seen with Jesus. And so he comes at night. And he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, hey, look, we, we're hearing about you, and we think you're a teacher of the law, right? Or you're, you're a teacher from God. For no one could do these signs unless God is with them. And he starts off with the, the big, famous we. Like, hey, we think, which is like, you know, everybody is doing it, or, you know, there's people who are saying this. Like, what does the plural we really mean? Like, just own it. But he's saying, we think that you're a teacher of God because no one can do these signs unless you're from God. And it's this open invitation, kind of like, this is who we see you as. What do you think? But he doesn't say the what do you think. He just kind of throws it out there and leaves it. It's kind of this hanging question statement. And what Jesus says is this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And Jesus effectively says, you can't see nothing. You don't even know what you're looking at unless you're born again. Which is interesting. He says, this is how we see you, Nicodemus. And Jesus says, you can't see anything you're not born again. And Nicodemus's response is, is interesting. It's, I think it's just like this snap thing. Like, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? And it's, it's, a, um, it's just one of those snap statements that shows, um, like, what are you talking to me like this for? And, and it's sarcasm. I mean, he goes right to sarcasm. He doesn't get it. And so he goes hyper-literal on Jesus. 
Oh, like, you're saying I got to be born again? Like, really get back into my mom? Like, what in the world? See, he's Nicodemus, right? He's a ruler of the Jews. He knows the law. He knows God. Nothing goes over his head. His reflexes are too fast. He'd catch it. Jesus comes back to him and says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from, where it goes. So, so it's just like that with anyone born of the spirit. And Jesus comes back to him and says, hey, look, look, there's, a, there's two births that are gonna happen in, in a life, two potential births, but this is, this is new information. And what he says is there's the one birth that everybody gets, right? It's from mom. It, you, you, you're born naturally and you're born into this world, right? Natural birth, everybody gets that. There's another birth, and this is news. This hasn't been talked about, where you can be born of the spirit. It's from God. It's not natural. And he says that. And he says, don't, don't get amazed that I said this, like you can be born spiritually, and don't get all whatever about it. He's like, just like, he says, look, you're okay with the wind, right? You get the wind, right? You see the effects of the wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't know how it got started, but you see the effects of it, and you're like, yeah, it's the wind. I'm good with that, even though I don't understand any of it, other than I see the effects of it. And he's like, oh, oh no, but now when you start talking about a spiritual birth, you've got a different set of rules. Is that, is that what we're saying here? Like, it's like, oh no, I have to understand everything and I have to understand how it started, where it started, where it came from. And if I don't understand it, it's not real. And Jesus is like, whatever. You're okay with the wind here, but you're not okay with the spirit moving. And he uses a word play because the word wind is the word pneuma. So all you guys in your barn, with the pneumatic tools, oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, ho, right? Pneuma, pneumatic, it's the same word here. It's a Greek word. The Greek word is pneuma, which can mean our spirit, lowercase s, or God the Spirit, capital S, and it's interchanged with wind and, and all of that. And he's saying, look, it is the same thing. You don't understand all of it with the natural wind, and yet you're okay with it. And I want to push you and stretch you to realize that what the Spirit is doing here, you may not understand it all, but it's just as real. There's a Spirit birth. And Nicodemus this time isn't sarcastic. He doesn't have that snap whatever. He says in verse 9, how can this be? How is that even possible to have a spiritual birth? Because he's never heard that. And Jesus comes back to him, and now he's got a bit of an edge to it. He's like, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. Just stop right there. He's coming back to him with that whole plural we, right? He's coming right back. Nicodemus is over, oh, we're saying we think. And Jesus is like, whatever, quit saying the we thing. And then Jesus says, 
oh yeah, we're talking over here. And, and at that point, you gotta stop and go, wait a minute, who's we? Because he just mentioned the Holy Spirit. Now he's saying himself. So he's, he's pulling himself and the Trinity together at this point. We, right? He says, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. He's like, you want to start dropping that? I'll drop it. <clears throat> Take this. Triune God. And he pulls himself into the Trinity in this moment, right? He's, he's revealing who he is. And he said, look, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one who's ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as, a, as Moses has lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he drops two different things here. He, he mentions this thing. He says, no one's ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who's, who's who come down from there. No, is that how he said it? I gotta make sure I said it right. I didn't just reverse it. Yeah, he says, no one who's ascended into heaven except he who's descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he starts and he goes, hey, look, if I've, I've told you earthly things, this whole idea of being born, born naturally, but now being born again in the spirit, if you don't even understand this stuff, how in the world are you gonna understand everything else? Because it starts with that birth. He's like, I can go into all this stuff, but you won't understand it. And then he goes on to say this whole idea of ascending and descending, and, and what had happened is there were prophets even in the, in the word here, who had been taken up to see heavenly things in heaven, right? Even John himself had these visions of heaven. Paul wrote about a guy who had been taken up into the heavens to see visions. And Jesus is saying, don't lump me in with these guys. Don't, don't give me this thing that I'm some teacher who has, you know, is from God or whatever. He's really saying this, I am from heaven. I came from heaven and I have come down. And then he reaches back 600 years earlier into Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel is seeing this vision of the future and the Messiah coming to bring right restoration of the kingdom of God. And Jesus lays hold of the son of man title. So he, in this moment, Nicodemus knows what he's doing. When he says son of man, Nicodemus immediately knows that's Daniel seven. And he's laying claim to being the Messiah. He says, no one else has done this. I've come from heaven down, and I'm gonna go back up. And then he pulls out of Israel's history, going all the way back to Moses in this time when Israel was cranky and upset because of what God was doing and leading them, and they didn't like it, and they start complaining again for whatever reason. So God sends all these snakes. They start biting all these Israelites. People start dying like all over the place, and people, the Israelites are like, oh, wait a minute. This is really bad. We must have done something wrong, and they kind of figure it out. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're complaining again. That's not good, and they come running to Moses. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Please save us. Stop this thing, and God tells Moses, okay, Make a bronze serpent, put it on a staff, hold it up really high, and whoever by faith looks at this bronze serpent will be healed and saved. And you're like, what? Uh, what? Like, like, why would you make a bronze serpent and hang it up on a staff? That just seems weird. And so they do it. And people, when they looked up to the serpent that was up on the staff, were healed and saved. 
And so they kept a hold of the bronze serpent. Come to find out, fast forward like 400 years later, 300 years later, guess what they're doing? They're burning incense and they're worshiping the bronze serpent. And a king, one of the kings uh, that brought reformation found out or was realizing that and he's like, oh, for crying out loud, and he destroys the thing. He's like, why are we forever worshiping idols instead of the God who brought healing? But what was the deal about the bronze serpent? It's a foreshadow. It's this moment of the brilliance of God's salvation plan, which he had already locked into motion centuries earlier, raising this serpent up so that everyone would look to the serpent. And Jesus says, that, in a sense, was a foreshadow. And Nicodemus doesn't even understand what's happening right now. And he will in a few years, right, when Jesus is crucified. He's going to look back on this, but he's like, no, no, no. What's happening is just like what happened in the desert. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up on the cross. And all who look to him for salvation and healing will find it. It's a brilliant, like, how did you pull that in 1,200 years earlier, and now it's now, and that's, that's so big, this plan of salvation. Like, what? And Nehemiah's quiet at this point. He's no longer part of the conversation. And Jesus says what is forever this famous phrase, Martin Luther, guy that was instrumental in the Protestant Reformation, called this the gospel in miniature. Like, if you want to understand what the good news is, it is John 3.16. And if if you have memorized this, I, I encourage you, whatever version, King James, uh, NIV, I don't know, Greek, just uh, let's say it together, right? And if you know 17 and 18, keep going with me. But let's say this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, through, that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light is coming to the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus comes and he lays out why he is here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a, an astounding statement for a Pharisee to hear this. Uh, tragically, a lot of the Israelite nation at this point were convinced, for God so loved Israel and hated the world, that he was ready to wipe out the world but save Israel. And, th- and that's kind of how they viewed anybody else who was not a Jew scum of the earth, rejects, just waiting to be wiped out. 
which is so tragic because when you look at the covenant that God made with Abraham, the original covenant, you go back to Genesis, what the plan was, was God was going to bless Abraham, and he put this mandate on Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations, and yet Israel refused to be that to the nations. They refused to be these people that would bring in anyone who wanted to follow God and come into the light. They wouldn't do it. They just refused to do it. This is radical for him to hear. God loves the world. And actually, if you go back and read, God consistently demonstrates his love. Even when you get into the prophets and how he's wiping out people and wiping out nations, there's this one moment where he's like, I don't know why you guys have me in this box where you think I love to kill people. He says, I hate to see the wicked perish. I hate it. Why? Because he loves the world. And, and you see two pieces of God's love. You see the greatness of God's love in that he loves the world and you see the intensity of God's love so much so that he would die for the world. It's one thing to say I love. It's another thing to say I'll put my life on the line for my love. It's a radical statement. And Jesus is moving into teaching about heavenly things of which Nicodemus does not understand and won't understand until after Calvary and the resurrection. And I, I love what he goes on to say here. It's so, it's so disarming. It's so shocking. He says, people are going to reject this. People are going to reject me. They're going to hate the light. People are going to hate the light because the light what the light does is it pulls them out of darkness and exposes their deeds. That's what he says, right? People hate the idea of being pulled out of darkness and be thoroughly exposed for all the evil that they live in. That's within them. People will do almost anything to avoid that. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But for those who love the light, for those who believe, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus will not die, but will have eternal life. Whoever looks at the cross of Christ and comes towards the light and says, I want to be saved. I need to be saved. Would you save me from this judgment, this condemnation, this evil that I, I know I deserve. I know I'm in this life and I can't stop it. I can't save myself. No matter what I do, I'll come. And in that very moment where it, when somebody who hates the light is convinced coming into the light is the worst moment, those who want to look towards Christ and come into the light, what they find is in that moment, everything that they thought was going to happen doesn't happen because what ends up happening is forgiveness happens, restoration happens. This, this whole experience of, of realizing I'm not condemned, he's, he's condemned for me, he took all my condemnation, what? It all gets flipped and the person is forever living this life saying what he says right here, right? That this idea that it may be clearly seen that his works or her works have been carried out in God. They live their whole life going, I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. It's like I'm a different person. It's like everything I do 
I, I want to do for him. It's like I've been born again. Have you been born again? I've often, over the years, encountered people who have enough history with the church, enough exposure to church, enough commitment to even come to church. But when you push into a conversation about, help me understand when you were born again, or they shy away from it, they don't want to talk about it. And most of the time, it's like, well, I wasn't that bad. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And so they come to God as a good person, not looking to him for salvation, but just looking, I want his love, I want a good pat on the back, but I don't, I really don't want to sit here and be exposed and really admit that I need salvation. And so they, they come all the way up to, but don't really want to be born again. And then there's those who, maybe this is where you are. I don't know online if you're listening to this, if this resonates with you. Like, you're at this point, you're seeking. You're looking. You know, our church has this commitment uh, to be in relationship. Uh, first, connecting with God connecting up with God and, and then connecting in with his family, but we also have this commitment to be connecting with people who are trying to find out how to get out of this life, how to escape the darkness, how to escape the oppression, how to stop all this stuff. And, and so there's this piece, this moment right now, if that's you and you're sitting there going, I cannot change who I am, I want to change, but I can't. I want to escape this stuff. I want this to stop. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the darkness. I want to be free. I'm telling you, it's real easy. You can be born again. You, you come and you look to Christ, and you say, I, I'm looking at you, Jesus, on the cross this guy up there on the stage, he's saying you died for me and, and that you took the penalty for all my sin. You took the condemnation and you're going to give me a new birth kind of thing, a new life. I'm in. You mean it in your heart. It's not, the, it's not the magic words. You mean it in your heart. And what happens in that moment is this, this idea of born again is simply this. No one else on this planet can do it for you, but the Spirit of God comes in. And what does he do? He comes in and, and he gives you a new spirit, a new nature, and he gives you new names. He names you differently. In fact, the Bible says he has a name for you that nobody else but you and him will know, and you'll hear it in heaven. But he not only says that, he says, I'm now going to call you my daughter. You're mine. You have been spiritually reborn into my family. You're my son. You are redeemed. You are forever secure in my hand. You're a conqueror in Christ. And the list goes on and on of this new identity that comes when we are spiritually reborn. That's what happens when we go and we look at Christ on the cross and we say, save me, save me. 
He transforms us from the inside out. It's a radical transformation, and that's why just playing in church, just coming to church, just faking it, that's not born again, because it doesn't touch the spiritual transformation that can happen. When we come and we look to Christ on the cross and ask of him, save me. So do you want to be born again? We're just going to take a moment and pray. If you have not looked to Jesus for salvation, God so loved you that he gave Jesus. He sent Jesus for you to save you. He died for you. This isn't about somebody else. This is about you. Do you hear this invitation from God? Is your heart hearing it? Come into the light. Just run to the light. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you just where you are, whether you're home, whether you're in your car, in your car, pull over. If you're at home, won't you, this is going to be weird, even here in this room, I want you to raise your hand. And you just say, Jesus, I, I want this. I want to be born again. I need your salvation. Do it at home. He sees your hand. It's time. 